every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Well, brethren, we have been making our way for a number of uh, months now through the book of First John, looking at it as uh, a book that's been written primarily to help us to come to a real assurance of eternal salvation. And John deliberately gives quite a number of tests by which we can know whether we are from God or we are still of the world, whether we are saved or we are not. And I have said again and again that it is crucial for each one of us to make it a matter of personal concern as to whether we are genuinely converted. The fact that the apostle here takes so much pains in dealing with this issue surely ought to convince us that this is a matter of life and death. In fact, a matter of eternal life or eternal death. And the reason is pretty obvious. If you appear before God on the final day, and discover that you were deceived, it is too late. You cannot come back and rectify your error. So being sincere now does not in itself mean, therefore, you are on the right side of God. You can be sincere, but sincerely wrong. And hence the need to study a book like First John and constantly examine ourselves whether we are genuinely converted. In chapter 3, we have noted at least two major tests, and one was that of holiness, and that we saw from verse 4 down to verse 10, and the second was that of love, which we saw from verse 11 to the end of the chapter. And I have said that the section we are now looking at, which is Chapter 4, verse 1 down to verse 6, is a brief detour. Because as you come to verse 7 of chapter 4, you immediately see that John continues on the subject of love. He says there, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. So this little detour that he is dealing with is one that was prompted by what he said 
at the end of chapter 3 when he spoke about the fact that by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And immediately he deals with this whole issue of how do we know that we have the right spirit? How do we know that we have the spirit of God? And that's what he now opens up in these six verses. We have noted that he gives us the responsibility to test the spirit. As it says in verse 1 there, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. And then he also dealt with the test that you are to use. And it is a, a gospel-focused doctrinal test. It is around the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he puts it there in verse 2 and verse 3. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. I brought out the fact that one of the major errors in the days when the New Testament was being written was one that was teaching that Jesus was a mere man. And what simply happened was on the day of his baptism, the spirit came and dwelt within him, and in that sense, he then was God and man, but then before he went to Calvary, again the divine aspect left him so that it was a mere man that died on the cross. And clearly, John is addressing that and basically saying anybody who has such heretical teaching concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ, don't listen to him. He is the antichrist. He's, he's carrying a wrong spirit. A deceitful spirit is working through him. Do not listen to him. Now today, we see why the error that should be so obvious to you ends up being so attractive to so many people. And we see this very clearly from verse 4 and verse 5. Those are the verses we will be looking at together this morning. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. In the days in which John was writing this, as I said, there was a very common error, heretical teaching that was taking so many people away from the Christian church. It was a teaching that was inside the pale of the church. In other words, these false teachers were not individuals that were out there and could consequently be, be 
given names like maybe Hindus or Muslims or whatever other names we give to other religions, they were within the context of Christianity. And therefore, John was, was very concerned that genuine believers remain steadfast. And consequently, this is why he was writing what he was writing here. Now, those errors are not common errors. I'm sure as I was speaking about the Spirit coming upon Jesus and consequently him becoming divine and then leaving him, you may have been sitting there saying, Oh, I didn't know there was such a teaching. Because that is in history. However, the devil has never gone to sleep. He's constantly churning out all kinds of heretical teachings that approximate to Christianity. That still have Jesus mentioned in them. But the Jesus that is mentioned there does not stand the test of Genesis to Revelation. And consequently, even today, we will still have within the pale of the Christian church teachings that seem to suggest that they are Christian teachings when in actual fact they are not. And they are not out there again, they are within evangelicalism. They are purporting to be teachings that represent the Bible when in actual fact they do not. One obvious one that I can think about is just the, the, the number of prophets that have suddenly mushroomed all over the place in the name of evangelical Christianity. Literally everywhere that you turn is some ministry that is suggesting that you need to be delivered from one thing or the other. But you can only be delivered as you go to them. Are you single and not getting married? Married perhaps and still not having children? Hunting a job for a job but never being employed? Being in a job and hardly ever being promoted. Being ill and the illness is going on for a little too long. You multiply all these examples and their appeal is always, come to me, I have the anointing and you will be delivered from whatever the spirit is that is bringing all this upon you. Great numbers are flocking to such places. And yet, here you are, you listen to all this, and I'm sure it bothers you that as you see so many in their thousands flocking to such places, somehow in your case, you seem to see through all this. You see through it. And you begin to wonder, is the problem with you or is the problem with them? Because surely, if someone is going to say to you that for any miracle you are to have, you must give him money. And then he turns around and says it is his faith that is making him rich. It's a bit of mathematics. 
that should show you that it's your money that's making him rich. And the reason why you are getting poorer is because your money is going to the wise guy. It's but a bit of mathematics. So you ask yourself, how come that which I'm obviously seeing, so many people are not seeing and are going from bad to worse and many of them going to an early grave? Well, I've got good news for you today. And the reason is this. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You see, that's what John is telling us in these two verses. Heretical teachers fail to sweep you off your feet simply because you are a true child of God. That's the reason why. And that's what John means when he says there in verse 4, verse 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now I know this is a very famous verse. If you've never quoted it, or no one has ever quoted it to you, blessed are you. It's often used in the context where perhaps you are being persecuted. Persecuted in the workplace, persecuted at home, someone is after you, things are really getting difficult, and brethren come around you to encourage you, and they say, don't worry, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And I'm sure you've said amen to that many times over. When you look at this text, it's very clear that John does not have persecution in mind. What he has in mind is a lot of heretical teaching that is doing its rounds. And he is saying that you have overcome these heresies of the Antichrist spirit by the Christ, the Spirit of Christ, who is in you. That's the reason why. He is greater than all the falsehood that is doing its rounds. And consequently, you have overcome. The emphasis there, remember, is on the first phrase. You are from God. Or you are of God. In other words, it is your origin, where you are coming from, your source, the source of your life is divine. God himself has done such a work in you that it is impossible for the spirit of falsehood to defeat that, to reverse it altogether. And that's why I am saying that it is because you are a true child of God. God has done a work of salvation in you. He has given you new birth. Your spirit has undergone a miraculous transformation. He has put new life into you. 
His own spirit has come to dwell inside you. Now that glorious change has come from God and is what explains what has happened here. And what is the fruit of it? You have overcome them. You have overcome them. Now this clearly suggests that you have already had interactions with them. And sadly, this is often true. While those of us who have the truth tend to be rather hesitant to share the truth, the sad reality is those who have error are often up and about sharing it. They share it in their free booklets and tracts that are distributed everywhere. They share it in the media, whether it is uh, social media or it is radio and television. You simply have to turn to one of these and you will find their teachings multiplied there. And often, they are constantly saying to you, come to my church, come to my church, come to my church. Until finally you say to yourself, all right, to get this guy off my back, let me go there. Let me go there. They are very zealous in sharing this error. And consequently, there is no doubt that what I'm speaking about here, you have heard. You have been told that if you do not want your car to be involved in an accident, it has to be covered with the blood of Jesus. I'm sure you've heard that. Where in the Bible do you have anything like that? Fine, they didn't have cars. But where, where do they say, you know, cover horses with the blood of Jesus? Or whatever means of transport they were having. Cover camels with the blood of Jesus. Where? But you see, these are kind of common teachings that are they constantly being multiplied. Jesus turned into a lucky charm now. The, a, a fetish that you carry with you so that bad luck doesn't come your way. It's common teaching. And I'm pretty sure you have been asked, you have been invited to be in such places, assuming perhaps you've been out of employment for a while, that you come. We have such a powerful man of God there that once he's done what he needs to do, you will have a job in no time. You will have a child in no time. You live a spouse in no time. And as I said, you may have gone there to just get these people off your back. And as you've listened to all this, something in you has just said, no. This doesn't tally. There's something about what is being said here that does not square with the Jesus that I have come to know. It doesn't square. 
And in the process, you have rejected the teaching altogether. You've moved on. You've overcome that onslaught upon your soul. While others have remained stuck in it altogether. What is it that has made you do that? What is it that's made you see through all this? It's not your intelligence. No. A thousand times no. It is he who is in you. The spirit of the living God. Who dwells in every true believer. He is in you. He is the spirit of truth. He leads you into truth. He guides you into truth. And he will do so for the rest of your life until the day you go to heaven. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He is the one who shakes his head and says, that is not what I In the Gospel of John, this is the promise that Jesus gave, chapter 14. The Gospel of John and chapter 14. Look at the way he puts it. John 14. And beginning to read from verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And listen to what he is called. Even the spirit of truth. Now notice this. Whom the world cannot receive. No wonder it gets misled. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. He dwells with you and will be in you. He repeats something like that in verse 26. Verse 26. He says there, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now clearly, initially, this was meant for the apostles themselves. They had listened to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the human memory cannot sustain three years of teaching in a culture in which people did not sit down with books, notebooks and pens and write down what is being taught. But he was assuring them, don't worry. My spirit will now come and dwell within you. And as he comes to dwell within you, he will not only remind you of the things that I have taught, but he will teach you my truths. And of course, in a general way, this now applies to all of us who are Christians. At the point of your regeneration, God, by his spirit, opens your spiritual eyes 
so that now spiritual truth, spiritual truth becomes reality to you. As real as your physical body can be seen by you. And consequently, as this same spirit of God comes to live inside you, he enables you to discern truth from error. So what have I to say to you? It is this. Thank God for his spirit who is in you. Thank God for him who is in you. Because without him, you would not be following the truth. Without him, you would have already been taken up by those who live in deceit and in error. Thank God that wherever you will go, whichever part of this planet you will go to, he who is in you will enable you to smell error a mile away and consequently reject it and continue walking in the truth. Thank God for he who is in you. But let's go on. Because heretical teachers can also be identified in this way. That they are worldly. They are worldly. And that's the reason why they have such a pull on worldly people. Look at what John says. Back to 1 John chapter 4. And this time verse 5. He has said, little children, you are from God or of God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now he says, they, referring to the false teachers, are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. What it really means by saying from the world again is that the source of their life is the world in its fallen condition. A world which is under the control of the devil. And friends, this is serious. It's serious because he was not referring to people who are teaching other religions. He's referring to people who are within the pale of Christianity. And he's saying of them that they are not of God, they are of the world. They are still enslaved by the evil one. They are still his servants. And he is suggesting by that that they do not have salvation. They are not saved by Jesus Christ. They are still on their way to hell. That's what he's suggesting by this. That's serious. Because what he's saying, therefore, is this. That if your understanding of the person and work of Christ is heretical, even if you are inside the church, you are not saved. You are still of the world. 
You are still from the world. You are still under the clutches of the evil one. That's what he's saying. You may be baptized. You may be someone who slipped through the fingers of the eldership and may have even ended up being an elder of the church. You may have even been ordained for ministry and all the other credentials. But if at the point of the person and work of Christ, your teaching is seriously in error, he is saying, you are not a Christian. You're not saved by the Lord. You're still on your way to hell. But notice what he is saying about such people. And it is this that these heretical teachers speak from their world centered perspective. Their world centered perspective. Remember I spoke earlier about the teaching in the first century that was basically saying, you know, God uh, cannot be man and then die. It's not possible. Consequently, it's but a mere man that was born from Mary and then God came as it were and joined himself to him. Hence all these miracles that he was doing and all these other teachings and so on. And then just before Calvary, God leaves him and then he dies. Oh, friends, from a human point of view, it makes sense. Because God doesn't die. So if it's purely worldly logic, worldly philosophy, well, they've got their crowds. But is that the teaching of the Bible? Is that what the Bible teaches concerning the little baby in Bethlehem? Or does it say, that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God. Yes, in Bethlehem, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, in Bethlehem, that little baby. It's not that God joins himself to him at baptism. What about on Calvary? What does the Bible teach? Oh, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders and he's saying, look after God's flock. Look after them. And remember what he says immediately after that? The flock which he purchased with his own blood. Who? Whose blood? God. Look after God's flock. Which he purchased with his own blood. The immortal dies. Who can explore such strange design? I can't. It blows my mind. But as I said to you last week, if it was a mere man who died on Calvary, then one man can only die for one person. He cannot die for millions. Certainly not. 
It has to be someone of infinite value to pay the price for millions upon millions upon millions of his elect people. But then, friends, that's the era that John had to deal with 2,000 years ago. That's not what you're hearing today. And therefore, we get no credit for taking out our guns and shooting at the heretical teachers of the first century. The devil did not go to sleep. He continues to produce in every generation his caliber, cadres, to come and do his work. Today, the worldly philosophy that ties in with our background that has swept right across Africa is that there are ancestral spirits and demons that are blocking your blessing. God doesn't have the power to come into your life and deal with things. There are these layers of spirits. And therefore you need to go to someone who seems to have the anointing to bring about a breakthrough. And hence the two key words, deliverance and breakthrough. You see them painted on posters everywhere. If you want a breakthrough, come. We have a meeting. This Friday, come. There will be a breakthrough in your life. Come. The divine blessing that has been so far blocked will be unblocked. And you receive the favor of God. The teaching basically is that which has produced what I call ecclesiastical witch doctors who seem to be reeking with power to deliver you from the power of the evil one. Of course, at a small fee. That's the teaching. It's not people being challenged concerning sin and repentance and being urged to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ who lived and died on the cross and rose again from the dead. That's not the message. Rather, it is that Jesus, some kind of Jesus, has given me the power. Come to me. And at a small fee, which they call a seed, You will get what you want. Now, friends, it's serious in this. That that's the spirit of the world. First of all, philosophically, that teaching that God cannot reach out to you because these layers need to, first of all, be, be broken through. That is African traditional religion. That's the premise by which our villages have witch doctors, and we go to them. So that through them, somehow, 
we might be protected. Somehow, we might receive the kind of blessings we want. Nothing has changed there except that that philosophy has now come into the church through the back door. But there's another reason why it is worldly, and it is this. It's all about self. It's all about you. It's never are you spiritually barren. No souls are getting saved through you. Come to me and you'll have a breakthrough. And souls will start getting saved through you. It's nothing like that. It's all about me having this, me having this, me having that. And that's the world. The world is constantly chasing after more and more and more. I want to get married. I want to have children. I want to have a fat bank account. A powerful car on the outside. A mansion in Lusaka's posh suburbs. I need a, a powerful genie who can bring this about. And that's what God is reduced to. He's reduced to our powerful servant who is supposed to be busy giving us toys constantly. Giving us toys. We all want to be healthy, all of us. 100% healthy. And therefore, anything in that respect that might be hindering that, call on God to come and do it to us so that we are robust in our bodies. I want to repeat, that's the world. It turns the whole thing around. Instead of us seeking God, seeking to be like him, seeking his will for the world, being his servants in the world, we turn it around. He is the almighty servant saving us. And as John puts it here, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. The world listens to them. And that's why the world is there in droves. Not just thousands, but tens of thousands. You remember the recent crusade we had in Osaka, that they are now claiming 250,000 people gathered in Hero Stadium. 250,000! But anyway, that's beside the point. But the line at the bottom was, come and get your blessing. Come and get your blessing. Come. I am flying in with God's blessing for you. Come and collect it at the stadium. And of course, in thousands and tens of thousands, certainly not 250,000, but thousands. The world listens to them. If the line at the bottom was, 
come and forsake your sin, there would have been ten people there. Brethren, I have no doubt that the modern deliverance movement in Africa is today's Trojan horse. I know some of you may not understand the phrase Trojan horse, so I'll just quickly explain it and then apply. It's a story told. It comes from a few centuries before Christ came into the world about a Greek city called Troy. And uh, the Greeks were trying to defeat that city. And as much as they laid siege around it, for over a year, the city was not opening up so that they could go in. Finally, they came up with a plan. And the plan was this. Let's curve a huge horse and put in our commandos on the inside. And then, at night, bring it as close to the gate of the city as possible, and then pretend we've given up and go away. So one morning, the people of Troy wake up. As the sun comes up, in front of their gate is this huge horse. And at a distance, seeing... The, the sea, they see the soldiers that had been around them sailing away. Hooray! 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 And they opened the gates and pulled in this idol thinking this is the gift from the gods and closed the gate. At night, the soldiers opened and jumped out of that horse, killed the sentries at the gate, opened the gates. In fact, at night, those same boats that were sailing away made a U-turn and came back and found the gate wide open. They came in and destroyed the city altogether. That's how Troy was defeated. That's a Trojan horse. And I have no doubt that this excitement with numbers, excitement with numbers, look, we've got thousands upon thousands, look, thousands. Well, what's the message? Is it the message of God concerning the person and work of Christ as is represented in the Bible or is it exactly what the world wants to hear? If your marriage is falling apart, it's not a question of man. Do you love your wife, woman? Do you submit to your husband as the Bible says? No, no, no. Such things are not even raised. It's just come, come, come. There, there is a spiritual husband or spiritual father or whatever. Wife who's intervening in your marriage who will deliver you. Will deliver you. That's why it's so popular. That's why it draws the crowds. Now, friends, I'm not saying this because I'm in an empty church. I hope you can see that. Because often when you speak 
against crowds, for mere crowds, it is assumed your church must be empty. That's not the reason. You yourselves know that. Your deacons are trying to break down this wall. I keep discouraging you from coming to church on Sundays. Don't I? I said, go, go. Give space to visitors. Go. So it's, it's got nothing to do with sour grapes. You know, your friend has crowds you, you don't. It's the reality of scripture. It's our responsibility to test the spirits through a biblical, Christ-focused, doctrinal test. It's our responsibility. And if we don't do it, we are the ones who end up being misled. We are the ones who face God on the judgment day and discover that we're not Christians and it is too late. So here's my point. If as you're listening to all these things that are attracting crowds, your own soul is longing for the biblical Christ. The one that you worship. The one that you serve. The one who has saved you from sin. And you are longing after godliness and holiness as a man or woman in your marriage, in your family, in your workplace. In true humility that God might be your all in all. And consequently, you overcome that. Thank God for it. The Spirit of God is in you. He's in you. He's in you. He gives you the light. And may He continue to guide you to heaven. On the other hand, if it just so happened that you found yourself here today, but your general menu, which you love to listen to, it tickles you. It causes your adrenaline to, to, to really run. Is all this teaching about the man of God giving you the breakthroughs? And somehow, somewhere in the background, Jesus' name is mentioned, but often it is his blood as a fetish sprinkling over your cars, over your house, and over all kinds of physical things to keep evil spirits away. I'm saying to you, it's because there's no light of life in you. There isn't. And my plea is call upon the Christ of the Bible to really save you. To really save you. To really, really save you. And when he does, you will see through all these lies. You will. You will see through all these lies. You will be disgusted that anybody would in the name of Christ peddle such lies. You will. And you'll be grateful that God's spirit is in your heart. Amen.